We've been going through the book of Ephesians this past year. Uh, feels like three, but <laughs> just saying. Yeah, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking about the gospel a lot and hope and what the gospel means for relationships and life and how it impacts our life and relationships. And um, tonight we're going to be kind of closing out, not quite closing out the book, but Paul's kind of last charge, his last instructions to the Ephesians. And we're going to kind of go through those and see what those are going to mean for us tonight. But um, yeah, I really appreciate you guys being here, especially with all the just the craziness of of, of, of finals weeks coming up and, and just what that brings and school and work and stuff. I just, this is a crazy time of year, I know, especially for college students with, um, with just the time of year that it is, it's difficult to, to kind of settle down and get focused because you you're pulled in so many different directions um, and just being overwhelmed with things. And I get that. Um, I'm not in school myself right now. Um, kind of long story short, I'm lazy and um, my wife got a cool job in LA, which we're moving there pretty soon, so I'm pumped about that. So I didn't see the point in getting more credits that aren't actually going to transfer there, because that would be kind of a waste of time. So anyways, um, yeah, I just being overwhelmed, that's kind of what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, is how, how, what Paul has, is going to teach us about being overwhelmed, how to, how to get through being overwhelmed, and, and how to kind of wade through life a little bit, and just... The, 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 the chaos and minutia that, that gets thrown at us. Um, as I mentioned, my wife and I are moving to California in July, and it'll be a, quite a new experience. Well, not for her, because she's lived in um, Japan. She's lived in Florida and Virginia, so she's kind of been all around the world. But I am a Missoula boy, born and bred, and I have literally lived nowhere else. I mean, I've spent some time, clearly, in other places, but I'm moving to Los Angeles, California, and I've lived in Missoula my whole life. So I'm a little bit overwhelmed. And on top of the culture shock of moving from a city of less than 100,000 to a city of over 17 million, um, I gotta find a job, you gotta find work, gotta find a school, gotta get my credits transferred. It's this, that, and the other thing pulled in all the different directions. And uh, it's like that scene from Star Wars. You've all seen the original Star Wars, not the crappy, not the crappy, or like episode one, two, like the real ones, right? Like the scene in Star Wars where they get thrown down the trash compactor and like, the, the walls are closing in. Like, I feel like right now the walls, like, the walls of time are closing in on me. And the, the little monster with the eyeball is adulthood and responsibility trying to pull me under. It's just overwhelming. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is just being overwhelmed. And um, I can kind of empathize with where you guys are at with finals coming up. Um, just being in school, work, it's all, it's, it's all a bit daunting and overwhelming. And, and as we close out Ephesians, as we look at Paul's last instructions for us. Uh, just keep, keep that in mind. Um, I want you guys to put, put aside what, what you're going through right now. Just school, work, relationships, family stuff, whatever it is that, that you're dealing with and is, is kind of hurting or bringing you down. Just kind of put it aside and just for the next, next, what, 45 minutes an hour, just worship God with me. Let's open the word together. Just put all that stuff aside. So if you got your Bibles, um, Ephesians 6, Tyler just read it. We're going to read it again can't read the Bible too much. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the sh and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with, with which you can extinguish all the, flame, all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in, the op- in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this campus. Thank you for the city. Thank you for, just thank you for people, just relationships and um, everything you've given us that we don't deserve, our life. Um, and as we get pulled in so many different directions, I pray that you'd, you'd just come here in this next you know, for hour and just focus our hearts, focus our hearts on you, focus our hearts on your word, on worshiping you, making much of you, setting ourselves aside and and letting your gospel be the peace that, that, that consumes us. Uh, Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so often our problems, our greatest problem, seems like the one that's right in front of us, right? You know, the exam that we have coming up, um, that you need to get an A on to pass the class, um, the family situations that you're struggling with, your brothers and sisters, your parents, whatever it is. So often we think that, that our greatest problems have to do with other people, or sometimes even ourselves, just whatever we're dealing with. But as we read, Paul kind of says the opposite. Let's look again at Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul's telling us our greatest struggle, our struggle isn't against other people. It's not, it's not about ourselves, right? Our, our biggest struggle isn't our exam. It's not our broken down car. Our biggest struggle is against evil. It's against sin, cosmic powers, darkness. Our greatest struggle is against sin. And Paul's making that abundantly clear here with the language he uses. Rulers of darkness, authorities of darkness, cosmic powers of darkness. He's talking about evil and sin. Sin is our greatest enemy. As a believer, your biggest struggle, your biggest battle will always be against sin. In your life and in others' lives and how it affects you, your biggest battle will always be against sin. And as we read in Ephesians, again, you can throw up 13 through 17. Uh, we're not going to read all of it, but just look at the language there. Breastplates and belt, it's armor. It's, it's getting ready for battle. Paul's telling us to put on armor, get ready for battle, get ready to get hit. You know, some, some people have this idea, or before they become Christians, that once you become a Christian, or even new Christians, that once you do start following Jesus, it's just blue skies and rainbows, right, and butterflies, you, you, you fart rainbows. Nothing stinks anymore. Life is easy. It gets, life gets easy when you become a Christian. But that's, that's not the case at all. Paul's writing a letter to Christians here. He's writing a letter to a church. 
And he's telling them that they're going to battle. That they have to put on armor because they're going to get hit. That it's going to be hard, that they're going to struggle. It's going to be difficult, that they're going to suffer. Okay? I mean, you, you've, you've, maybe you haven't heard the song because we're all pretty young. I wasn't, I wasn't actually born in the 80s. But Love is a Battlefield, Pat Benatar, great song. But what do you mean no? It's a phenomenal song. That's a great song. If you haven't heard it, check it out. It's phenomenal. Anyways, you've heard that song, Love is a Battlefield. Paul is telling us life is a battlefield. Life is war. Life is difficult. Put on armor because life is war. Nothing comes easy. You know, you take a single economics class. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Life is hard. It's difficult, right? And we're going to take shots. And sometimes those shots come from other people. Okay, people sin against us. People do something that affects us. People do things that we don't like. You saw in the NBA this last week, the owner of the Clippers made some really stupid comments, and now he's, he's out, got fired. I mean, that was really offensive to some people, and that hurt a lot of people. And sometimes people sin against you. Sometimes people do things that hurt you. Sometimes forces of evil, forces of sin, forces of darkness come from outside of you, something you can't control. You don't control what other people do but it affects you in a negative way, okay? Now, sometimes it comes from within you, too. So sometimes it's, it, it's your own laziness. Sometimes it's, it's, it's lust. Sometimes whatever it is, that sin that is inside of you sometimes comes out and affects you, right? I mean, we're, we're all sinners. I mean, even, even though we've been saved, that doesn't mean we, we don't sin. I mean, we're not perfect. We sin, Right? And sometimes that evil, that darkness, comes from within us. Right? So sometimes it comes from without us and within us. Sometimes someone does something negative towards us, sins against us, and we respond in sin. Right? So evil is all around us. Now, what I'm, ta- what I'm talking about is where <clears throat> someone sins against you, that, that is a person, that is flesh and blood, but what's behind that person doing that is the evil Paul's talking about. What's behind what's going on is, is, is the sin. It's the evil. Okay, so that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the evil and the sin, right? Life is, we are in a perpetual state of war and conflict. Okay. On earth, being Christians, being saved, following Christ is a perpetual battle. It's a constant battle. Within yourself, you got, you got, you got, you know, Christ and the Holy Spirit and the gospel on one hand, and you have your, your passions that are at war within you, as James says, tugging. You have a, you have a, a war going on inside of you. Okay? And life is a battlefield. It's, it's difficult. It's tiresome. It's daunting. It's overwhelming. Let alone all of the, di- the different circumstances in our lives that, that affect us negatively, we have that inside of us pulling us in two different directions. So we have these things outside of us and these things within us that are affecting us in a negative way. And it's overwhelming. Um, yet look at Ephesians 6, 11, 13, and 14a. This is, this is Paul's kind of first real like, charge for us. Is, let's look at uh, what, 11 first. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then the first part of 14, stand therefore. 
So Paul's saying despite these cosmic powers, despite sin, despite evil, he's telling us to stand and take it. And he's telling us to put on armor to take it. He's telling us to be consistent, to be faithful, to despite circumstances, to follow Jesus. To don't let what's inside of you detract from what Christ has done and to detract from your mission as a Christian. Don't let what's happening outside detract from your mission as a believer. Paul's saying to stand firm, be faithful and consistent in the gospel. Paul is saying to be, stand firm. He says it three different times, right? Now, he tells us how to begin that process, how, how to stand firm. And like we mentioned before, he, he tells us to put on armor, to get prepared for battle. You have to be prepared for what's going to come at you. And, and that means not being naive about not being naive about what we're really fighting, what the real problem is. Now, the real battle is, as we said, against sin. And the reason that the real battle is against sin is because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Look at Isaiah 59, 2. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Our sin separates us from God, the creator. It means there is no, without sin, we have no access to God. Without sin, we have no access to God. It means we're on our own, on an island, no help side tea. You're all alone without God. And so if sin separates from you from God, Sin is our greatest problem, okay? Sin is the, our greatest problem because sin separates us from God. We have no standing on our own without God. Now, our human tendency with injustice, because ultimately sin is an injustice against God. It's rebellion against God because he's our creator God, and sinning against him is an injustice against him because he created us to worship him, and when we don't worship him, that is ultimately what every sin is, is worshiping anything other than God. So sin, or rather injustice, is, 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 is something that as human beings we are, from the beginning, from young adults, from high school, we are ingrained to hate injustice, right? I mean, we, you, talk, you see all the commercials, the, um, what's the lady with the dog, the animals, uh, the pet? Uh, anyways, there's a lady that does this all like, uh, like animal shelter thing every other commercial it feels like on Hulu. And there's just injustice, people fighting injustice all over the world, and we get ingrained into that. We want to fight that. And like we saw with the, the, the racist comments of that guy or uh, that NBA guy, um, the, the owner, it's injustice is, is a huge problem in our society, people oppressing other people. And we have this innate desire to, to hate injustice, right? And actually, I was, um, I was on, I think... I think Facebook, and I saw this video of a guy rescuing these dogs. And I have a dog, so I had to watch it. And it was this guy rescuing these dogs that had been beaten and abandoned and left for dead. And they, they go like day by day, like day one to like day 60. And the transformation from day one to day 60, like I'm, like I cry, so lame is, I think I cried like four or five times. I am a huge softie. And so I've definitely cried at the end of the first one. I think I watched three or four more. Um, 
basically because, because we're moving, we have to get rid of our dog, which made me cry even more. And so basically, if a dog can, if, if rescuing an animal can create that sense of redemption inside of me, that sense of just hatred, of injustice, what should sin against God do for me? I mean, I'm not saying I don't like animals. Clearly, I have a dog and I love my dog if I cried over him. But if, if you have that feeling towards an animal, what, how much more should that hatred of injustice towards human beings be? And how much more so towards God when our sin is the greatest injustice of all? Now, like I said, as human beings, we have this, this tendency to fight injustice and we want to do things about it. I wanted to donate money immediately to this guy because he was doing awesome work, right? And so we have this tendency to want to fight injustice and do something about it, right? But the problem with sin is, is we can't do anything about it. If we wanted to do something about it, like Tyler said in the Good Friday sir, we'd have to be on the cross instead of Jesus. We'd be the ones on the cross instead of Christ if we wanted to fight that injustice on our own. So we can't fight that on our own. And when we try, because I know I've tried, when you try to white knuckle through life and, and conquer sin on your own, you end up on the ground and sin ends up standing over you. So Ephesians 6.10, Paul tells us how to rightly conquer sin, injustice, and these forces of evil. <laughs> Finally, this is how he opens, be strong in the Lord and the power of of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You see, we don't have to be alone in this battle, in this, this war, this, this, this conflict against sin. It's not up to us. It's not all up to us. We don't have to win. We hand that over to God. He's saying, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, where the, this analogy of war and battle and this armor kind of loses its, its effectiveness is when you have Christ, we have Jesus fighting sin. That's, that's not a war. A war implies there's casualties on both sides. A battle means the outcome is in question. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. But with Christ and sin, there are no casualties on Christ's side. There is no uncertainty about who is going to come out victorious. See, living and loving for Jesus isn't doable without the power of Jesus. Glorifying God, standing firm in your calling, as Paul says, means letting go of any self-confidence you have, any reliance on yourself you have, any residual self-confidence you have had before becoming a Christian. Let that go and embrace and be consumed by a Christ confidence, a confidence in the gospel. Because that's the power that Paul's talking about. The power of God, the power of the Lord is, is the gospel. It's the gospel of peace, as we're going to see. This battle against sin, this, this, this war that is waging inside of you and all around you, it's, it's, not, it's not up to you. Just any, any, any sense of, of, of power that you have that you think you can accomplish. I know I do all the time. I try and you know, white-knuckle through things, white-knuckle through different sin. And it never, never goes well. Romans uh, 5, 6 says that we are powerless without, without him. Self-confidence shouldn't exist within us as a Christian because 
We, we don't rely on ourselves. We rely on Christ. Self-confidence shouldn't be a word that we use to describe ourselves as believers. It should be Christ-confidence, uh, relying on Jesus, relying on Christ, relying on the gospel. Right? Now, where, where you once pointed to yourself, where life was once about you, where everything you did was about you, it's now about Christ. You point from yourself to Jesus because that's what matters now, not yourself. Now, where Jesus did conquer sin on the cross, where he did defeat sin, where there was, where, where there was a, a washing of, of, as we sang in the song, the, the crimson, the, the blood of Christ, where it washes sin away, the battle here isn't over, right? I mean, if it was, we'd all be perfect. We still struggle against sin, clearly. But the gospel births a strength and a power within you that is unmatched. The power of evil is not only dwarfed, the power of sin isn't only dwarfed by the gospel, it's obliterated. It doesn't hold power. It doesn't have leverage anymore in your life. The gospel consumes you to a point where evil has zero leverage. Sin has no leverage in your life. Now, Paul gives us some application here on, uh, with the, uh, the armor and with each piece of armor, he kind of pairs an, kind of an application or kind of a virtue of some kind. So let's just look at that real quick. Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Um, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Theref- stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with, you, with which you can extinguish all the flame, all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation. So, um, as Paul pairs each of these kind of pieces of armor with kind of a virtue, um, and we'll quickly go through them, we clearly don't have time to go through the entire thing, but the belt of truth, these are, these are kind of ways that we can, that Paul is giving us to stand firm in the gospel, okay? These are practical ways that Paul is giving us that we can continue to hold our ground and be consistent and be faithful to the gospel. So the belt of truth. Truth matters. What you believe about God matters, okay? It, 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 what you believe about yourself matters. Viewing things rightly matters, okay? It, 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 having a proper perspective gives you the ability to worship God how he was intended to be worshipped, and it gives you the ability to live like you were intended to live, Okay, so truth matters. The breastplate of righteousness. The cool thing about righteousness is that when Christ died, he not only took our sin, but he gave us his righteousness. So the burden of perfection, like we're not perfect as we, as we, as we established, but we are positionally righteous. Like because of Christ's death, like if, if I sin in the next 12 minutes, which I probably will, it'll have been, it'll have been paid for. So we are positionally righteous before God. The burden of perfection is gone. The boots of readiness, um, we've talked about, a little bit about ready, being prepared, putting on the armor, um, living with, in expectation, being prepared for war. The shield of faith. Uh, faith imparts a liberating hope. Uh, with an eternal perspective, struggle, suffering, difficulty, putting that all in the perspective of eternity is liberating. Because what is... What is a crappy relationship when I have eternity to spend with my Savior? It's a liberating hope. And then the helmet of salvation, we're saved. 
We're saved from sin. That, that sin that separates us from God doesn't exist anymore. We can have communion with God. We can live with God. God lives in us. The helmet of salvation. Now, um, all these items that, that Paul lists up to this point have been items of protection, things that, that protect you against in, in battle. You have like the breastplate, the helmet, boots, all that stuff takes arrows, takes hits, get punched, get hit, whatever. It'll protect you. But the final piece of armor that God gives us in Ephesians 6, 17, the second part, um, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul is telling us to take up our only offensive weapon here. Our only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, and the Spirit here is God himself. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, is our weapon. Now, typically, you'd think you control a sword, you control what you do with a sword, but we don't in any way control God. So our weapon is God himself. We rely 100% on God himself. As we established with early, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Rely on spirit to conquer sin. Rely on the spirit to change your heart because only God can change hearts. Okay, only God can change hearts. So our, our offensive weapon is, is the spirit of God. Now, these ideas and these, um, these principles can easily become Christian cliches, uh, like a lot of things in Christian culture. Um, I, I know I do it, like saying, um, like, I have to trust more, I have to trust God more. Like, oh, I, I, you know, we're moving to California. I'll just trust in God and everything will be okay. It easily becomes a Christian cliche for us. But lip service. So without action, if that changes nothing in us, if we just, if we just say these things, if we just you know, learn these things but have no application for them, if we, don't, if we don't use them in our life, they become lip service and there's nothing to them. So Paul... And Ephesians 6, 18 through 19 is going to give us something to do with this. Okay? Ephesians 6, 18 through 19. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul gives us an action here. Gives us a, something to do, and that's pray. Paul's final instruction here, final charge for us, for the Ephesian church, is to pray. As, as we wade through the minutia of life and, and the battlefield of life, Paul's advice is pray. This is what he tells us to do. This is the only thing he physically tells us to do, is pray. Now, if you're like me, you struggle a lot with prayer. Okay? I have, like, up until just a little while ago, I had the weirdest ideas about prayer. I talked about it in a community group a little bit last night. Um, like, I thought that prayer was like a genie and a lamp. Like God was the genie and prayer was a lamp and if I prayed the right way or prayed the right things that God would do whatever I needed, right? Kind of like Harry Potter, you know? Prayer's my wand and God's gonna be the magic that changes everything in my life. And that's how so many of us look at prayer. It's just we ask God to do something. We ask him to fix a circumstance in our life that we want fixed for us. And it sounds ludicrous, but that's, I mean, even if that's not how we consciously think, that's how we act with prayer. We just, we go to God when we need something. It's rare that we pray 
just to God to be with him, to communicate with him, and to worship him. So in light of what Paul is telling us to do here, the last thing he tells us to do, and probably one of the most difficult things, let's, let's, let's dive into it a little bit. Let's dive into prayer just a little bit. Um, and so let's define it real quick. So prayer is communion with God, communication rather with God, and it is a worship response to what God has done and a worship response to what God has said in Scripture. So it's communication and it's worship. Prayer is communication with God and it is worship to God, okay? Let's look at Acts 1.14 and Matthew 6.6a. Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So together they were praying. Prayer is to be done corporately, like we've done here several times tonight. Prayer is to be done corporately together. You are to pray to God together. It's, a, it's something we can, how we can worship God together. As singing, we pray to worship God. Okay? And then the second verse, Matthew 6, 6, a, but when you go, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. This is in response to these Pharisees standing on the street corners praying and people admiring them for how holy they are because they're praying so much. Prayer is also to be done in, in private. So I, that's where I failed so much is I don't, I, I rarely pray in private. I, I rarely prayed in private. Prayer is to be done publicly. It's to be done corporately together as the church, as believers, in fellowship, in community, and it is to be done in private as well. So we're commanded to pray. Clearly, Scripture charges us with prayer, as Paul does here. Now, prayer, uh, there's kind of, we can categorize all prayer into kind of four different categories. And the first is adoration and praise. So we can... We can praise God for who he is, the characteristics of God. We look at the Psalms, there's a lot of adoration in the Psalms. It's, it's, it's worshiping God for what, he done, what he's done and who he is. Uh, and then there's confession and repentance. So admitting sin, wanting to change sin, asking God to change our sin, confessing sin. Then there's thankfulness, thanking God for just the incredible amounts of, of blessings and things that he's given you, um, anything in your life, any grace of God and thanking him for it. There's thankful prayer. And then there's petition. So asking God to do things. It's asking God to do things is the final one. And as Paul gives us this charge, we want to have a, a right perspective on prayer and what it is and what it means and how to do it. So 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So prayer is done within the context of God's will. Okay, God has, has a will. God has revealed his will. His revealed will is scripture. Okay, and when we pray, we must have that as our context, as our context, as our context. That's our backdrop. Scripture is our backdrop. So it, when you pray, it, this is a, a simple one, yet so rarely thought about. Pray with the Bible as your backdrop, as your context, okay? Pray within what God has revealed in his scripture. Don't, any time that your prayer or any, anything comes in conflict with the Bible, the scripture is ultimately our authority. And we need to bend whatever that is to scripture and to the Bible, so pray within the context of God's revealed will is one. James 4, 3 says, You ask 
and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So pray with a gospel motive. Your motives need to be right when praying. And ultimately, as a believer, we see throughout Scripture that the purpose of a believer, the purpose of a Christian, the purpose of following Christ is to make much of Christ. It's to worship Christ. It should be no different in our prayer and what we ask for from God. And what we do with prayer, it needs to come from a motivation ultimately to glorify God. So we need to pray with a gospel motive, a gospel foundation. You know, you, like Piper has that, what, what's at the bottom of your joy, getting to the bottom of your joy. What, what ultimately brings you the most joy should be the gospel. And that's where we pray from. That's the same place we pray from. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. <clears throat> Again, this is Paul. Um, so keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that is not it. Sorry. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. So Paul has something that he's dealing with, some thorn in his side he's dealing with. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's something that is, is causing him some great suffering. And he asked God to remove it. And God's response is no. And did you catch Paul's response? Paul's response was, okay, you know more than I do. My power, your power is made perfect in weakness. Ultimately, when we pray, we need to recognize that God knows more than we do. God knows more than we do. So where we pray from a place of, 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 of a gospel motivation, we need to have the perspective that God knows more than we do because where we think that when we pray for, 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 for healing for ourselves or a family member or, or whatever it is, those, those are really difficult times and those are real, it's times of real suffering and it's difficult but when those prayers seem to go unanswered, when they seem to fall on deaf ears, and they don't get answered the way that you want, you, you have to know that God knows more than you do. God knows more than anyone does. So as you pray, you have to recognize and you have to accept that God is ultimately, he works everything out for his glory. He works everything out for his glory and the good of those who follow him. And in our prayer, if we remember that, then as Paul's response to a no was worship, our response to no's will be worship. As, as Christ said in his prayer, your will be done. In, in his, in, your will be done. That is that's something that I've started to try and work into my prayers is, I ask for a lot of things, I, I noticed. I ask for a lot of things from God, and I started asking God to just bend my will to his, because ultimately, 
That's what matters. That's what matters. Now, why pray? What's the point of prayer? Prayer as, uh, expresses our trust and our reliance on God. So we, we mentioned that we have to be strong in the power of God, in the power of Christ, in the power of gospel, in the power of the gospel, and a way to do that is prayer. Because if we recognize that God knows more than we do, if we bend our will to scripture, if we bend our, our, our desires and joys to scripture, that's expressing trust and reliance on God. That's a tangible way that you can express your trust and reliance on God. So that lip service, that, that those Christian cliches of I just got to trust in God more become tangible and real. And the more you pray, the more that trust and reliance will grow. It's, and it's a means by which we can grow in our reliance on God. So Paul, from there, he asks for prayer for himself from the Ephesians. He asks that the Ephesians request God, request that God do something for him. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 19 through 20. Um, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in, the opening, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is asking for help. He's asking for prayer that he would move forward boldly. Now, as Paul charged us with, standing firm. He said it four times. Stand firm, stand firm, steadfast, stand firm. The next step is moving forward. The next step is moving forward. Paul's asking for prayers that he would move forward in the power of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel boldly. That with boldness, we would let the gospel rule us, that he would let the gospel just seep out of him. As our greatest battle against sin has been won, as that, 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 that which separates us from God has been conquered and defeated, what other response do we have than moving forward boldly? If our greatest problem has been solved, if God can solve our greatest problems, can't he solve the little ones too? So we move forward boldly. Now, that doesn't diminish suffering. I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to diminish anyone's suffering. I've, we all struggle. We all have things that... that, that, that burden us, that emotionally drain us, spiritually, physically drain us. I'm not diminishing anyone's suffering. But we have peace, and we have a unique peace in the gospel. Ephesians 6.15 says, talking about the, the boots, and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, in the midst of all this language about war and battle and struggle and conflict and suffering, right in the middle, Paul gives us some peace. In the middle of all this chaos is peace. And that peace is in the gospel. That peace is in the gospel. It comes in the form of the gospel. So as finals are coming up and work stinks and you have a crappy boss and this, that, and the other thing, Life, the chaos of, of the minutia of, of just everything you're doing, you have peace as a believer. As someone with affections for Christ, you have peace, and that's the gospel. <coughs> that peace causes you to stand firm. That peace is relying on Christ. 
And a tangible way we can do that is prayer. A tangible way that we can rely on Christ, express to God how much we rely on him, and grow our trust and reliance on him, reliance on him is prayer. So as we put on the armor of God, as we be prepared to take blows from outside of us and within us, be prepared with the gospel. And pray, because prayer is a way that we can tangibly rely on God. Find peace in the chaos. Find peace in the gospel. Trust God through prayer. And have a right view of what prayer is, because that matters. Have a right view of what the gospel is, because that matters. So, to find peace... Just rely on Christ. Rely on the gospel. That's, if, if there's anything that you can get from coming to GCF, from spending your time here, it's you can't do it on your own. I mean, you, 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 might, you can try. I mean, you're getting through school and work and life and family and relationships and boyfriends and girlfriends, all that stuff. You can't do it all sufficiently on your own. You can't get it done on your own. You can't complete it on your own. I need more than just those things. The war that's going on inside of you between right and wrong, sin and the gospel, sin in Christ, you can't conquer that on your own. Pray that God would change your heart. Pray that God would change your affections and your passions, as James talks about. So let's pray real. Lord Jesus, uh, God, I thank you, for, thank you for GCF and just the opportunity to open your word, to sing songs and to pray, to express our love and our, our adoration and our trust in you together corporately. God, we pray that as life gets busy and as life gets messy, that we don't try and fix it and white-knuckle it and do it on our own. We don't that we don't rely on what weakness, the weakness that, that is who we are, God, that the strength and the power and the glory of the gospel would be our motivation. It would be our guide and that you would change that in our hearts, God, and that prayer would be a, a tangible way that we can trust and rely on you as we move forward and as we stand firm in the gospel. In your name we pray.